fine LG refrigerator for the family, an avenue of escape, and the means to have a comfortable life uh, should they surrender the city. Why does uh, the surrender of the city have to be kinetic? Wouldn't you expect there to be a two-track approach? If you stay, you feel pain, and your family gets a lot of it. If you stay, uh, you'll have no hope. There'll be nothing, no future for you if you're captured. But if you surrender the city, the forces, the uh, you know your soldiers, if you command a laydown of arms, for the uh, benefit of humanity, well, you might actually gain image, reputation, uh, a, you know, a, a reputation of sensibility, uh, a reputation that aligns well with the firm kleptocracy of your culture. Why not simply take the offer, surrender your forces, and live comfortably? Your thoughts? I think that's an interesting idea. I don't think the Ukrainians will find it necessary to have to put this forward because the proposition that we've been describing uh, uh, over the past few hours as we were you know, slowly analyzing with David uh, the situation that the Russians are finding themselves in, uh, so to speak, in, um, in Kherson, it's just becoming ever more untenable. So there might just not be any, uh, any need or indeed any ability for the Russians to do this. And also, how would you engineer this, right? How, I mean, where, where are you going to deliver 12,000 fridges or are you just going to say, well, every Russian soldier, you're allowed to go into one home and steal one fridge? Or I, I'm just, you know, you, you know what I'm getting at. Um, but but I, I think it's an interesting carrot and stick, carrot versus stick approach. Um, I reckon, Jerry, John, did you come up to... Uh, to answer Jerry's question, because I think that you'd have a very good perspective on it. Well, just to, to pitch a different perspective, to be honest, which was, I mean, by all means, you know, message the, the Russians, communicate with them and just say you you have an option to leave tonight or you're all going to die. Um, and I think that's the, uh, the way I'd probably approach it. And that seems to be the way that they are approaching it right now. Well, hopefully. Yeah, I can uh, offer I have... that the logistics of... Uh delivering refrigerators and Nissans to the family is fairly simple. Deliver the refrigerator on the back of the Nissan. They get a pickup. And um, the uh, uh, the motivation would be to preserve the infrastructure and the population of Kherson. So, Jerry, uh, the problem is, do you know what the problem is? The problem is that when Russians retreat from Kherson, they're still on the other side of the river. And I think most people have priced it in by now. The Kherson will be largely destroyed, just like Mikolaev has. And Russians never got to Mikolaev, and Russians have been shelling Mikolaev. You know, they've gotten to the edges of Mikolaev, but they never took the city, right? And Russians have been shelling Mikolaev every day for months. And when Russians will be pushed across the Dnipro to the other side, they will continue to shell, and Kherson will become the new Mikolaev. I would, I would argue. John, what, what do you think? Do you think the Russians are not going to show Kherson if they retreat from it with Kherson unarmed? Sorry, unharmed, not unarmed. No, they'll, they'll destroy absolutely everything that they are able to destroy for as long as they're within artillery range. Uh, I don't think there's any question about that. I, I think 
you know, with the with the greatest of respect to David, and I listened to him yesterday about this time as well, and you know, he was very noble, very sort of humanitarian. Um, but I, I'm afraid I, I I can't take the same approach. Um, I think the strategic objective, the only justice Ukraine is going to get, unfortunately, uh, after this war, which they will win, but the only justice they're going to get is going to be meted out through a high explosive and the barrel of a gun against the Russians who are currently in Ukraine who have committed the crimes against Ukraine. Um, And I am all for the Ukrainians gaining maximum justice uh, while those Russians who are guilty are actually within their reach and within their grasp. Um, And I hope that they do exactly that. Uh, And, you know, whether, whether, as you, exactly as you said, whether they voluntarily leave her son now or not, um, they will do everything they can after the fact to reduce the city to rubble, unfortunately, unless somehow the Ukrainians are are able to push them out of range. And I don't think that that's a, a realistic prospect in the near term. So, um, so no, give them, give them the option, leave while you can, um, or remain, but, um, you know, we know what you've done here and we will simply disarm you and hand you over to the locals. Uh, and they may well give you some karmic justice. Ferlin, what do you think? You're, you're Ukrainian. Um, you're in touch with both, you know, plenty of Ukrainians around the country, but also plenty of Ukrainian troops around the country. What, what do you think the the feeling of Ukrainians towards this is. Hi guys, um, can you hear me loud and clear? Loud and clear. Um, the thing is, firstly, I have to explain what kind of surreal your conversation um, <laughs> might might sound to any of us. I mean, um, part of me doesn't understand that it is what is happening, and you basically can't um, avoid. What, what, whatever is going to be happening, either the city will have like a, a partial destruction or it's going to be fully destroyed, if I might say, because of, you know, collateral damage and so on and so forth. Um, but still, like, over, overall, it's just really, 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 really strange <laughs> to, 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 have, to process it. But anyways, I'm talking about the... Uh, the feeling of the of the Ukrainians of the population. Um, of, of course, we know that it's coming. Uh, of course, it's inevitable. Um, um, of course, for Russians, the threat of Ukrainians regaining their our let's say territories is uh, imminent. Uh, question once again is the price. Uh, Human lives, which like, which will eventually be lost, uh, infrastructure which can be rebuilt, but still seeing city going down the drain, ruins just because they wish for a better future is not something which you can kind of see or hear or witness in your lifetime. Um, so we we just hope that um, the we can mitigate the, the price of of this, let's say, one of the future victories. But once again, it's it's really even even listening to you discussing it at like completely in a completely understandable, like clear, logical, critical thinking way is 
one thing, but being here and being part of this country, knowing that this is going to be happening, and um, Russians won't just say like, "Oh, we think they won't just do that." Like we have, you have seen the way they treat the troops. I mean, you see how Russians higher command and chain of command treat their soldiers. They would rather um, sacrifice those uh, morons. I apologize, but they are morons if they don't. Um, see what's happening or if actually they see what's happening then they are just beasts but that's just my way of uh, looking at them once again they they don't care they they really don't care about human lives they are more about conquering and if you have read books about <clears throat> various or historic books about various conquests it's hardly ever been about um actually you know winning the hearts and minds of people it's it's usually just destruction so yeah i don't know if it's answer your question but it's, it's just very surreal to think about it. it it's even surreal to speak it out loud if you might say thank you Vernon. i think that's a you know crucial perspective here uh and we're really grateful to have you with us to be able to provide that um Jerry, do you have a response? And then we can go on to Raver after that. Jerry? Sure. Uh, I'd like to just point out a couple of things that seem obvious. The uh, south or east side of the Dnipro, of that bridge, are Russian troops positioned as a blocking force to prevent a exodus of the city uh, by Russian troops. We know this to be true. We know that this is their method of maintaining a forward force. Uh, we also know that um, <clears throat> those uh, forces are going to be blocked or be uh, challenged with a, a limited amount of time that they have uh, to get supplies from across that bridge. Um, the limited limited capacity. We know that they're you know slowly strangling, and they'll take it out on the local population. That we know. Uh, I didn't suggest that we would uh, ask the Russians to retreat across that bridge to surrender the city. Instead, surrender themselves, such as Cornwall did at Yorktown. Recognize that you can't preserve your troops. You, the, the blocking forces uh, the of your own country are on the other side, willing to shoot you down should you try to run away. Um, and I'd offer them an, a walk of shame, if you will, north and west, out of the city, surrendering en masse. And the image of three to five, to maybe as many as 12,000 troops, surrendering, laying down their arms and surrendering is a pretty compelling image uh, worldwide. It suggests... Uh, it doesn't suggest anything. It says Russia is being defeated in a very large scale. And so uh, the message I would say that I would, you know, I'd, I'd want to preserve my forces uh, for future action uh, in Crimea or throughout the remainder of Kherson, all the way to Melitopol. Um, you know, it seemed to me to be a reasonable approach to tell the remaining command in that in the city of Kherson, that you may surrender your troops. You may live, although you're going to have to be constrained. You're, you'll be for some time a prisoner of war, a negotiating peace even, but you'll live in your families. Your families, it's such a large force of persons that uh, 
it's, it's sort of unthinkable that uh, they would be uh, the fam- your families in Russia uh, who are effect- effectively being held houses. They'd be under a, a great deal of jeopardy. So why don't you take our offer, surrender the city, visibly lay down your arms, walk north and west. You may walk. You may not carry equipment with you uh, to a uh, to waiting uh, prisoner of war camp where you'd be fed and clothed and treated humanely because that's what we do. We treat people humanely. You may not understand this. You may have a, a vicious mind, but this is the offer we give you. And for the uh, commanding forces, ah, we've got a great offer for you boys. There's going to be something big that you're going to have. It's the Western world. We're huge. We can offer all sorts of wonderful things, things that you've always aspired to in your native country, but can never, can never have. So surrender the city, surrender your troops, come north unarmed and partially clothed, and uh, we'll give you comfort. Uh, we promise not to mow you down, even though we're terribly angry with you. We'd like to take revenge. We're going to treat you in a humane and uh, business-like manner. Um, that would seem to me to be a compelling argument in the overall structure. Now, they may be totally unable to understand it, the offer. They may be suspicious of it. But it would seem to me to be a reasonable offer to make, You know, given that I'd like to preserve my forces, I'd like to preserve the locals, I'd like to uh, do whatever I can to limit the... Uh, on the ground damage, even though the uh, the forces on the south side of the river will do a lot of damage to the city, we know that's a given. But at least this, we've contained damage to a certain extent for really, uh, I don't know if it's a small price. In fact, I think it's a big advantage. I think. Uh, I think it's a great PR advantage. I think it's a great demonstration of humanity. It's a great demonstration of tactic and uh, the images of thousands upon thousands of Russian troops surrendering uh, would be compelling. That's just my thought. Berlin? Well, uh, the idea is obviously good, but let's see what's actually happening. Uh, so, you know, Ukrainian side can do that, and I'm pretty sure we've done it multiple times. I am, but some of those soldiers were legitimately, let's say brainwashed, they believed in their own propaganda. So that's why they will assume that Ukrainians and whatever was told about us and are, they, they just won't believe it. They have been fed by propaganda and by their uh, commanders for such a long time that they won't even think about it. They will probably just laugh. So it can be done, it's commendable if we do that, and I'm pretty sure it's been done a couple of times. Plus, there is like an overall Ukrainian network of saying like Russian soldiers sending like messages, um, like sending various signals via communications. Russian soldiers, you can surrender and you will receive like... uh, proper humane uh, attitude in Ukraine, you will receive some kind of, yeah, even if you come to switch sides, you will have like accommodation and yada, yada, yada. Hardly ever someone does it because they, A, are so brainwashed to the point of no return, B, they they have committed so much, um, they have done so many atrocities that they are like, like, 
shit i've already um like my 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 hands are like blood to 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 the point of no return so they're like whatever and um but but by doing so ukraine will obviously will look good on like foreign arena which we don't have to look good at this point because we are already are the way we are we (laughs) i think it's clear right now how are we fighting what type of strategy we are using that we are following international humanitarian law obviously and we we won't uh step down from those um obligations we will be the same but has they like have they realized that we are like like we are i don't think so maybe like two percent three percent i'm yeah so we will probably do this which should have been done, but I doubt that they will follow this uh, course of action um, just because thinking like, oh, my family is in Russia, they will threat my family, I will I will better die a glorious death here and then someone will buy a Lada after I'm gone. Then someone will come to my house and say like, your, uh, your husband or your, whatever he is uh, has... Uh, uh, <clears throat> has done this and this and this, and so you're going to be sent to jail because, you know, FASBA uh, uh, is a very litigious um, thing. So it, it, it's, it's very complex, and I, I wish it happened because by doing so we will preserve as many lives as possible. Um, but seeing how Russians behave and their... Um, rules of engagement let's say which is the absence of any rules they have broken all the laws in existence possible i suppose so yeah uh we have two hands actually here uh if you have anything to add uh drivefly raver who was the first one raver raver was next to the drivefly okay raver please go ahead yeah, um, everybody get out your umbrellas. I'm about to rain on this parade, and I don't mean to. I'm 100% uh, behind Ukraine. But history is pretty clear on, on what's about to happen. Uh, based on other past tyrants in the mold of, of Putin, as long as there's a way into Kherson, Putin's going to keep shoving men and material into the city. And it's too important to him. Once that road is cut, the Russians are going to sit tight and wait for other Russian forces to try to break in. If they can't break in, then they're going to sit tight, and then the Ukrainians have a, have a choice. They can either let the city become a charnel house by siege or let the city become a charnel house by fire. Um, if they do it by siege to preserve the infrastructure, eventually the Russians will try to break out. But by then, you're, you know, famine and cholera and dysentery and things like that will have taken over the city or the ukrainians can try to storm it in urban combat we all know how that goes Um, i don't think there's a happy ending here and that's just a study of history Um, but there's the possibility long term strategic uh, operationally that if enough russians go into the bag because of putin's ego uh, that uh, Russia will be weak enough elsewhere that it won't be a sacrifice in vain. It'll, it'll be more along the lines of, of what we saw um, out of the defenders of Mariupol and Azovstal as they tied up so many Russian troops 
that Ukraine was able to do other things because the Russians couldn't. And I'm sorry to rain on that parade, but uh, we're we're in for a rough couple, couple rough months ahead of us. Once the final way into the city is cut, um, it's going to be bloody. It's going to be deadly, and I feel really, really bad for any Ukrainian citizens who haven't gotten out. Thank you, Ray. So, do you reckon that it's going to take? So, when you say a couple of months, are you referring to Kherson for a couple of months, or occupied territories more generally? Once the final road into Kherson is cut. Uh, the Russians are going to have enough food, fuel, ammo in the siege situation to last for a couple of months before they get hungry enough to stop trying to wait on external Russian units to break in, and they will try to break out. Right. Okay. So, yeah, you're right. You're you're definitely operating on a lot less an optimistic uh, approach than we were, because what we were getting at today, earlier today, I don't know how much you got to hear, is that by demonstrating that the bridge across the Dnipro and Kherson can be denied to them, right? And the bridge being across something like a kilometer of a river, um, that they can be, um, you know, that they can be sort of gently persuaded that now maybe is the time to get lost rather than to try to hold the city. Um, because if, if that bridge goes, I mean, the, the Russians do not have a capacity to resupply. Um, and there is a bridge across the Inhulets River to the north-northeast of Kherson, Um that should be easy to take out. All of that is within easy range of Ukrainian artillery. Any pontoon bridge they might put across the Inholets, uh, where they could uh, resupply through, uh, uh, you know, via that Novokakhovka dam, um, that can easily be taken out. We've seen what the Ukrainians have done when Russians tried to put a bridge over at Bilohorivka in the east, right? Uh, maybe they should, maybe they're just a bit too lost for this. And, um, no. Also, don't you think that Ukrainians would have had included this in their uh, in their calculations earlier as well? Um, so I'm just going off a study of history, and I, and I think the controlling factor here is going to be Putin's ego. And so he's going to keep shoving stuff in rather than bringing stuff out. It's just the nature of people like him. Uh, you know, they think that they're, you know, got divine whatever on their side and they can't lose and they will not pay attention to the to the things that rational people would. And Russians and Ukrainians have to die as a result. I don't see a happy way out of here. I wish there was. I'd love to be proven wrong. Oh, I would seriously love to be proven wrong. But I, I think a sober reading of history says we need to steal ourselves for the fact that this is going to become really, really bad. Going to Jerry's point about Cornwallis at Yorktown, that battle lasted for three weeks and only ended when Cornwallis knew the British couldn't break in, and because he was trapped on the coast, he couldn't break out. That's the only reason he surrendered, uh, was because he was out of options. And you go to most sieges uh, throughout history, and that's the, that the, the, the mass surrenders only really happen when there is no way out and there is no way in. Thank you, Raver. Um, okay, let's go on to Hans. Dry fly, then Jerry, then, then John. Dry fly. Yeah, I agree with Raver 100%. And I, I, I just don't see Jerry's rosy scenario working out at any possibility. And it's for all the reasons that have been described by Raver, by Furlane, by others. Um, the only option to get mass surrender would be on an individual basis, one by one, and that would only happen if um, 
the enforcers that are probably already in the city are are taken out either by partisans in the city or by soldiers fragging them and i'm thinking the fsb and the gru and whoever is in the city wagner people who will be doing the enforcing <clears throat> i i don't see the vast majority of the soldiers being so brainwashed that they wouldn't surrender i see them being in a position where they worry more about the russian enforcers than they do about the ukrainians in other words they're more worried about being shot by their own than they are about being shot by the ukraine and as long as that condition <clears throat> holds there's not going to be a surrender uh are the officer corps and the elite and the enforcers brainwashed absolutely the typical rank and file soldier yeah they'll probably have some uh some you know some brainwashing but at the end of the day i think the majority of them would surrender if there was an avenue and there just isn't going to be given one unless those um enforcers are eliminated which is why if i were the if i were the ukrainians and i were going to take kherson i would absolutely have been trying to infiltrate the city prior to any assault with as many partisans and special forces people as they could to try to kill those officers try to kill those enforcers then you have at least a chance of getting some significant quantity of the rank and file to surrender but that's a tough tough thing to do when the fsb is turning the city over inside out trying to find infiltration trying to find partisans and being so brutal when they do find them <clears throat> i don't know what the outcome's going to be um i think the city is going to be taken i think it's going to be bloody but um and i agree with raver we're just going to have you know the world's going to have to steel themselves to what's going to happen i think putin is going to make an example of this city that if you try to take the rest of ukraine every city's going to become uh kherson i think that's his uh only threat credible threat he has but it's going to be uh it's going to be ugly and it, i think it's going to be longer than a couple months to be honest i think it's going to be a long haul and i hope i'm wrong too I'll listen. Okay, think you drive like Jerry. I'd be reluctant to give Putin a Stalingrad. Stalingrad forces of the Soviet Union were stranded on the uh, on the German side of the river and uh, every effort was made to resupply by boat. Um I would be reluctant to repeat that in a form uh allowing a uh, internal propaganda victory a rallying point of Kherson um Kherson for Russia save our boys all that wonderful stuff i'd not be looking for a means of extracting those forces without uh, as non-cognitively as possible um in my relationship and experience uh with a lot of different people uh it's uh, the human mind makes its own choices based on what is immediately before it irrespective of any future or past programming uh, especially when those it's a you know effectively a life or death situation the lizard brain takes over the monkey brain takes over in any kind of uh higher functioning uh thought processes begin to kind of be pushed in the background and that's where you know this propaganda stuff works so the higher brand of the, it always works in the future 
So I, I would almost say it would be, uh, you know, evident, self-evident that a means of drawing those forces uh, away in a in in the form of a surrender would be, uh, you know, would would be advantageous. And drawing those forces away by communicating to the uh, kleptocratic forces of the command structure that you know we're offering you a prize. You can have this big thing behind door number three, or you know you can you can have your you can be uh, at the tip, sacrificed gloriously, but ultimately forgotten. Uh, by burying your bones here in the uh, in Putin's Stalingrad, so I would be real careful about offering the propaganda victory, the rallying point of a uh, of a new Stalingrad to uh, to Putin. Uh, we know for certain that there are forces on the other side of that river who are going to block the defending forces in uh, Kherson from retreating. It's just their way. They've demonstrated over and over again. That's the case. So you cannot leave. That's not open to you. Uh, and uh, if you want to try, you'll suffer a traitor's death. Um, but you can have sacrifice a little bit of your training and move here to safety, to humane treatment, uh, to prosperity, and uh, an opportunity to uh, you know to re- rewrite your story. Once you return home to your family and such, uh, with gifts that will uh, uh, that they'll they'll like a heck of a lot more than the story of uh, your death in uh, in Kherson. So I, it just seems to me a, a at least an option to offer. Uh, it uh, it moves a number of pieces on the board simultaneously, trampling in there to uh, you know. Uh, you know, in a kinetic manner. Mm. I mean, that can happen, and, you know, in the final analysis, that will have to happen. But uh, I'll offer this about uh, Yorktown. Yorktown was surrendered after three weeks of battle because Cornwallis was offered an awful lot, as well as his uh, command staff was offered an awful lot by a uh, Continental Congress that had <laughs> much less certainty uh, that than uh, than what uh, what what the world can offer these guys. So uh, yes, uh, your options have to be cut down to a binary choice: surrender and live, remain and die, surrender and prosper, remain and be a forgotten story. I don't know. Seems uh, I'm not advocating. I'm just saying here's a thought experiment. Here's an approach. Uh, I'm certain that uh, the one or two individual offerings across the field of battle, to offerings of surrender and comfort and safety, uh, have fallen on some deaf ears because the command structure remained in place to keep soldiers there. And the uncertainty of what your future would be, given the fact that you do have blood in your hands, you know, that would that would keep those uh, those individual soldiers. Uh, probably fixed in place, fixed in their fighting holes. Uh, the opportunity to basically move as a large group and survive uh, because of being one of a population of many, uh, to, you know, live in anonymity, 
uh, as part of a mass force surrendering. Uh, that's a little bit of uh, maybe that's a little more of a compelling message rather than being asked to move, move across lines, you know, as an individual soldier or unit or such. If I were commanding in that, uh, you know, in the attacking force, I'd be weighing those options. I'd be looking for resources to make that offer certain. Seems to me that's how I'd approach it, but I'm not a, uh, I'm obviously not there. Okay. Thank you, Jerry. I'm just going to run through hands. I'm not going to respond to people because there's six hands up. John? Thanks, mate. Um, I mean, to, to make it absolutely clear, if a division plus sized element of Russians was prepared to surrender en masse because a bridge had been blown up, then that would be absolutely super. Um, and that would obviously spare the maximum amount of lives, military and civilian. And, you know, everybody could have a party and, and that would be great. That just strikes me as spectacularly unlikely. Um, I also don't think that commanders are, are likely to be bribable in that sense. Um, without also being told that they're, they're going to get a blanket amnesty for all of the war crimes against the civilian population that they've committed. And I don't see that as, as very likely either in, in terms of from the Ukrainian perspective. Um, and, you know, this, this, the Stalingrad example, well, Paulus was enveloped by a, a, a double pincer movement, basically involving millions of Soviet soldiers um, so it's not it's it, we're not really comparing apples and apples there to be honest um but yeah i mean obviously none of us know how this is going to pan out and you know as jerry has said a surrender would be absolutely the best option but if we if we assume that that's that's an unlikely scenario then making it clear to the russians that you know they can withdraw in the next 24 or 48 hours and they will not be interfered with while they leave uh, obviously, they can't take their heavy equipment across that bridge, but they they can do it on Shanks's pony. Um, and if they're not going to do that, then you know they 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 are going to be attacked. Um, and that's that's how I'd approach them. Thank you, John. And just to clarify, for what we've been talking about here for the last um, four or five hours is exactly this, right? Not a surrender. We were not discussing a surrender. What we were saying is. The bridge is compromised. The bridge at Kherson is compromised. Heavy things can't be moved across anymore. That's clear to everyone. That's also clear to the Russians. The only things going across now are small cars and some buses. No trucks have been crossing that bridge today, right? So what we've been discussing earlier with David, our uh, uh, ex-British Army engineer, who uh, I think had to sadly step down because of a phone call, um, is that this is shaping the Russians to either you know cross the bridge without the heavy equipment or move north towards that dam at Novokakovka where the crossing is a lot more stable because simply, you know, Ukrainians aren't going to blow up the dam like they can uh, make the bridge impassable, right? So we weren't dreaming about the surrender. We're talking much more uh, reasonably about either, you know, the tactical retreat by the Russians to across the river or staying on the same bank of the Dnipro on the right bank and, and moving further north and per perhaps abandoning or leaving the city behind because of that. Okay, uh, Raver, you're next. Daniel, if you can come up before Raver's done talking, then you are next after Raver. Raver. Yeah, I'll be real quick because I'm almost to work anyway. Just everybody be prepared. It's going to be famine or fire. Okay, thank you, Raver. Um, incredibly, incredibly brief. Uh, <laughs> this is almost a specialty of yours, isn't it, Raver? Uh, dry fly, go ahead. Yeah, I also want to, I agree with Raver, but I also want to add, um, 
the enforcers aren't just on the other side of the river. The enforcers are embedded in those units. The Putin has put the FSB and GRU people inside the inside the military units. So those officers who even start negotiating without Putin's backing will likely be eliminated almost instantaneously. Um, and we know this. I mean, this has been reported for a long time. I mean, the whole Snake Island affair of that FSB officer, Alpha, he was from Kherson area, and he was going there to basically silence people who were uh, insufficiently, uh, insufficiently motivated. So I just don't see any way you're going to get even negotiations to happen internally on a large-scale basis. Individually, soldier by soldier, platoon by platoon, very possibly. Some of those will turn will, will, will walk away if they can, if there's not enforcers with a gun to the back of their head. But en masse, not going to happen. Um, not unless Putin gives the blessing. And so I, I'm with Raver. This is going to be a long, drawn-out affair. The other thing that people have to realize any of those guys who surrender really will be putting their family and friends back in russia at risk putin absolutely will make examples of them he's he's absolutely willing to make them suffer for someone else's failures uh they've done that all along um there have been reports of that coming out that uh people who are insufficiently um motivated uh, the whole family suffers. I'm not saying they'll kill them all, but they certainly can be relocated to Siberia. Um, I just don't see any way in which you get a independent negotiation from Officer Corps in Kherson to turn over en masse. The targeting has to be on an individual, unit-by-unit basis, and you'll probably get some surrenders, but there'll still be a huge bloodletting. Um, I, I think Raver's got it almost 100% right, and I'll listen. So one thing to be highlighted here, Dreyfla, is also that um, a whole lot of officers have died in various strikes and command posts all over Kherson Oblast, including in the city of Kherson, including in Novakakovka. And that's been something that has been, um, you know, done kind of systematically by the Ukrainians as well. A and whole lot of officers per- that used to be perfect. there are not there anymore. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. And, and I also, like I've been talked with... Um, Chuck, I'm absolutely certain that the Ukraine has infiltrated um, SBU units that when this thing goes up, they're going to target as many of the of the hardcore FSB types inside Kyrgyzstan as possible. The problem is, is that they probably won't get all of them. Those guys embed um, both, uh, you know, visibly, but there's also going to be people there that are uh, undercover. I mean, that's how the Russians and the Soviet era maintained rigor amongst their troops. And Putin has reinstituted almost all the Soviet controls that in, in the militaries. I just don't see it being easy for officers at the top to negotiate the surrender en masse of something like Kherson unless Putin agrees to it. And Putin might. Putin might want to pull those guys out and have them fight for another day. Hell, the, let, the, let them have the equipment. The equipment's going to be all blown to hell anyway in a battle. Get the soldiers out. They need soldiers more than they need equipment right now. They got, a, they got warehouses full of it in Siberia. 
but they don't have soldiers. So the one limiting, the one thing that does bode well for a, a surrender would be if Putin could get the soldiers out, but he's not going to let them march to the north and the west. He would want them to go across that bridge back to, uh, you know, to the to the head of Crimea to be able to protect his his uh, his other holding. Other than that, I see really no opportunity, and I go with Raver. So we'll see. Thank you, Dragfly. Okay, we got Daniel back after his technical difficulties. Daniel, then Daryl. Daniel? Okay, I will say my American gentlemen are very, very, very wrong. Uh, they don't listen how many command posts were destroyed in Kherson until now. The head of the 22nd Combined Arm Army is dead. Uh, the head of 20 to division is dead. A lot of um, local commanders of battalions are dead. In this morning, the headquarters of the garrison in Kherson was hit and the head of the garrison is dead. And second, you talk about Stalingrad. Sorry, Stalingrad was in Soviet Russia with almost no population after Germans. This is Kherson with enemy population. They are not Soviet army. They are not even Russian army. They are people from all around. The, uh, in this belief, because the Ukrainians have HIMARS and they are killing them right and left all the time. They don't have planes above them. They don't have some systems for their cover. The special operation forces get uh, detainees from the basements and get them in Ukrainian lines. They are partisans. All Kherson is full of leaflets of the partisans. Soldiers are killed and disappear in Kherson. So... Sorry, guys, I, I don't know where is this doom and gloom. I will expect tomorrow morning to hear part of them try to cross the bridge, part of them try to go east, and part of them surrender. I, I don't know where you get this doom and gloom. How can be Stalingrad? They are in an Ukrainian city with 100 Ukrainians wanting to kill them with a kitchen knife. Where do you get this? And there are many brigades of Ukrainian there. And there are a lot of artillery there. And there are the Air Force. And they hit the bridge for signaling to the Russians, is your time for surrendering. And this night you will hit again the bridge. Remember them. You don't have officers, it's time to surrender. Don't be so pessimistic. Daniel, uh, it's not us being pessimistic and having doom and gloom. It's just being realistic. Um, Russians also have some sort of chain of command. Even though their army is, let's say, outdated and their doctrine is, is shitty, <clears throat> let's uh, call it as it is what it is. Uh, but uh, we, we've seen them withdrawing. We've seen them um, leaving places. We've seen what they are leaving after they left. After they left, so I, I'm just being realistic. After everything that happened in Rubizhne, Popasna, Severodonetsk, Lysychansk, Bucha, Irpin, Hostomel, and I can like Borodyanka. I can continue this list. It, it, and Mariupol, of course. 
and they're still there. It's, it's just being here for almost half a year, for God's sake. I, I just I just don't want to have higher expectations. This is what it is. If it if it happens and it is better than we see it right now, of course it's going to be such a huge relief. Like like oh, for like sake, I was wrong. I would I I I will scream at the top of my lungs that I'm wrong. But I'm just being realistic. I am agree with you, Ferran, and I'm agree with all the massacre they done, and probably they done in Kherson also. But we forgot they are not Azov style defenders. They are not Azov battalion. They are some guys from Tuva. Uh, that is my point. Imagine uh, you expect that Russians to be so brave like Azov battalion there. There's no chance for that. I mean, I absolutely know the NGU Azov regiment or battalion, if you call it, being the top of the elites because I've seen their recruitment process. It's, it's rigorous training, meticulous selection. Those guys are the best that we have in the NGU and the uh, sec- like security structures of Ukraine, for sure. But the terrain is different. Urban ops there are different because of the terrain and because of the density. Um, and, and yeah, and the guys who are attacking, obviously, Ukrainians, I mean, on the offense there, they're also <laughs> different from Russians. It, it's different strategies and different tactics, tactics applied overall. That, that is why being realistic right now won't hurt. Am I wrong, Doman? I think that, no, you're personally not wrong. Um... I think that what we were discussing with David earlier quite some length is that this, the this position for them in Kherson is just going to become more and more untenable, right? And it's that even they will realize that it is becoming untenable, but that they will still have an easy way out and that they will easily have much more defensible positions once they, cro- once they cross the Dnipro, right? The Dnipro is a kilometer wide at that point. If they can cross and they can blow the bridges behind them, the Ukrainians can't really go and, uh, you know, follow them across the Dnipro with any ease whatsoever. And maybe this might just be the easiest thing for them to do. You know, abandon the abandon the right bank, abandon uh, abandon all of the Kherson Oblast that they have on, on the right bank, certainly south of the Inkhulets River, right? Um in the north, they can, they still have the crossing of Novakovka. That's stable. That's you know that that can't be gotten rid of uh, very easily at all. Um, that can't be denied very easily because you can't blow up the dam, right? If you're Ukrainians, um, so maybe this is a way to get them out of the city, pull the remaining civilians out of the city, uh, get them far away, and then we we know that the city is going to be shelled to bits uh, afterwards from across the river, right? But it's better for the city to be shelled to bits without the civilians being there and without the Russians being there as well um, than to leave the city in their hands. And this is speculation, let's say, that this is what Ukrainians are trying to do by hitting the bridge but not making it inoperable, right? Hitting Antonovsky Bridge but not making it inoperable at the same time. Allowing them a way out, allowing them also way out north. But so did the city, which is the one major settlement on the right bank that they're occupying because everything else is you know, a few a few thousand people per settlement or so, and then the Kherson urban area is 300,000. Um, maybe, maybe that's the best thing to, for uh, for Ukraine to do also from a life-protecting 
perspective. Of course, there's only about 100,000 people left in Hinson, but nevertheless, right, the vast majority of people who are on the right bank of the Dnipro, that are under Russian occupation, are in the city and the urban area of Kherson. So if you can chase them out of there and kind of push them, push them out, gently nudge them out, that's, you know, for the best for... Uh, uh, for all those people there, especially if you can do that relatively quickly over the course of a day or two, just as it seems to be going on now. I think that's roughly what Daniel was driving to. Okay, no comebacks from anyone? Okay, fair enough. Uh, let's go on to Daryl. Daryl, good morning. Good morning. Uh, one of the things that I think uh, is missed on a lot of, uh, of Westerners is the mindset of the Rush, uh, when we talk about giving them a way out, this, that, and the other, a lot of these have been given over to Western sentiments and how we think and how we process life in general. And what we have seen of the Russians is that they have very little regard in that respect for the respect of life, the respect of your... Um, fellow combat, etc. And so when we talk about them surrendering, them doing all these other negotiated settlements to this uh, Kherson, we are, uh, what I'm hearing is a lot of that Western sentiment, not realizing they don't have that. And that the only end that they see is either at the end of a gun with Putin holding it or at the end of a gun in Ukrainians holding it. The lucky ones are the ones that will get wounded and get taken care of because they won't have to have made a choice per se. And so when we look at what may happen, it's going to be, as Raver said, this is going to get bloody. And it's going to be a situation where the Ukrainians that are there in the city, the partisans are going to have to be warned of certain things happening so that they can be out of the way per se, so that the things can happen uh, with outside forces coming in. That be, whether it be uh, uh, artillery strikes, etc. But the city will not survive intact at all. And the only thing that, you know, I really want us to think about is to not put the Western sentiments when we start thinking about what can happen in the future, and you will realize this is going to get really, really medieval and what's going to happen. And it's not going to be because of the Ukrainians. It's going to be because of the Russians. Uh, but that's that's what I want to say to that. Thank you, Darrell. Um I don't think anybody has any, any uh, ideas that the city would at all remain unharmed, right? Um, even if, like, even if it all goes really smoothly and the Russians just leave Kherson, even if they'll go across the river and they'll be shelling Kherson uh, from across the river, just like they've been shelling Mykolaiv for the past four and a half months, right? So I don't think anybody's under any illusions that Kherson is going to somehow survive with the city still standing. I think it's at the end of the day, I think it's really all about the people. It's not about at all about um, making sure that the city remains untouched. Because thus far, it pretty much has, right? But I think it, it's very clear that uh, the city is going to be shelled heavily by the Russians, even if they go and withdraw from the city. And it's going to get destroyed by the Russians then. 
um, it's all about it's all about getting the people out. I think. Um, okay, let's go on to Susan. Then there, yeah, yeah. I was just saying this was this had to do with the whole ideas of uh, them giving, you know, them surrendering. That's a, that's really what I was aiming that that comment at. Yeah, I, I agree that a surrender is incredibly incredibly unlikely um in a tactical retreat yes a surrender no no um definitely not uh let's go on to susan and then pick and then back to daniel susan can you hear me yeah loud and clear okay uh yeah so i think i think uh daryl is um a hundred percent where where i'm coming from right now i definitely had some kind of cognitive dissonance going on I couldn't understand since February when Ukraine offered for soldiers to surrender and be taken care of why why they wouldn't do it, why the people forced into conscription wouldn't do it. And I could only think that it was because they were afraid of being shot by the Russians who were the enforcers. And then when Ferlaine spoke this morning to say that that's not the way they think, they don't think like us, it's like something clicked in my brain and that's right. They are just brainwashed to uh, think that you, Ukraine has Nazis and that's why they're here. They have been indoctrinated since they were toddlers to have a different mindset than people in the West. And I think Daryl is 100% right when he says the only the only thing they see is death, the end of a barrel held by a Russian or death uh, by, by a barrel held by a Ukrainian. I don't think that they will surrender. I don't think... And I don't think it's because it's just brainwashing. I think it's because of the taught, since they were toddlers, indoctrination into a way of thinking that is not Western. And I got it. I can't. I can't believe that I was. I fell into my own trap of of applying my values to people who don't have those. That, and that's all I wanted to say. Thank you, Susan. And I think that's something important to highlight here, right? Um, the the cultural. Uh, assumptions that are being made cannot be made. Uh, the cultural assumptions that you know, oh, they they're, they're rational, they're reasonable. They, that cannot be made, uh, both from a brainwashing perspective as well as from a um, sort of let's call it imperialistic perspective. Here, uh, Ferlin. Yeah, I just uh, I'm having a moment of self-reflection. I suppose uh, today uh, I visited uh, my. Friend, um, one of my closest friends, whom I haven't seen since uh, beginning of February, I suppose. I didn't know that she was pregnant because she was afraid of sharing this news in the light of the events, because she was afraid of losing the child and all. Uh, so yes, yeah, she, she gave birth. Luckily, everything is okay. It's a newborn, and she was, um. She was talking with me and we kind of started speaking about Russians. I don't know why, just because uh, it was like the point, a point of where we're like, why are they doing this? Why? And she was like, you know what? In my 29 years of life, I've never thought about Russians at all. Like how they live, what do they think? Like at all. I've never been like, she's, I'm, I'm quoting her. I've never been in Russia. So that's why I, I never thought that they are poorer than we are they are less educated than they are i never knew that there are uh villages and settlements in russia the people are just like unaware of civilized world and you know comfortable life and she was like have and she was asking me do you know what is the percentage of russians who have 
had a chance of getting out of Russia. And I was like, well, it's pretty, pretty much really 